0: in our priorities or our exercise or our goals, whatever it might be, that we made in 2018, the new year offers an opportunity to refocus, gives us a chance to ask some larger questions like, what do I want to accomplish in the next year? And maybe even beyond that, what do I want my life to be about? And even more than that, not only what do I want my life to be about or what do I want to do, but how am I going to get there? New Year's resolutions ultimately give us a chance to stop and think about our purpose in life. First, to define it, either for the first time, or to re-examine and refine it. And then second, to plan ways that we're going to fulfill that purpose. I don't know if you ever thought about New Year's resolutions that way. Because often we think of it just in terms of the next year. This year I wanna do this. You know, and and we might have a particular goal of something that we think, okay, I could accomplish that in a year. And, and we maybe don't even think further than that. But I wonder if you ever think of New Year's resolutions as a way of thinking about who you are in general, who you'd like to be um, as a whole in, throughout the entirety of your life going forward. If I were to sit down with each one of you and ask you directly, what is your purpose for 2020? What would you say? I could say, what are your goals in general? not just for this year, but for your whole life? Or what is your purpose in life? What is your mission? What do you believe is your calling? Jesus knew his mission. He knew his calling. He knew what he was to accomplish and what God's will was for his life. And what I want to show you tonight from our text is that Jesus allowed his mission to define what it was that he did on a day-to-day basis— it became his compass, his map. It determined what he said yes to, and it determined what he said no to. The bottom line is that Jesus used his mission to define his ministry. Let me say that one more time. Jesus used his mission to define his ministry. That's the main focus for tonight's passage. If you get nothing else from this, that's the main focus. So, let's look at our text in more detail, Mark 1, 35-39, to see how Jesus stayed true to this mission. And by the way, this is relevant stuff, because here's the thing. We get off mission all the time. We make resolutions, and then you know it, by February, we've forgotten them, right? I went back and looked through what my resolutions for 2018 were. Some of them I kept. Some of them I was like, oh yeah, I made that resolution. (laughs) I think that was forgotten within a month, you know? And some of them were just way off course, and I, I did not keep track of it. So we lose our initial focus all the time. So that should make this all the more amazing. How is it that Jesus didn't do that? How is it that he managed to stay on focus, to stay true to his mission, when there could have been so many forces that it could have threatened to pull him off course? So as we look at this text, I want to propose that there are three ways that Jesus stayed on mission. The first one, the first way that Jesus stayed on mission was that he made time to pray, and that's pretty obvious from this passage. So, if you look at verse 35, it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So, if you just pick this apart a little bit, what's being said, uh, the details of it all, you notice, first of all, he's getting up early in the morning. He did something unusual. He got up earlier than most people would. It says that he did so while it was still dark, is what the text says. That's not to say that, you know, somehow morning people are better than evening people, night owls, whatever. But it is saying that Jesus went out of his way to wake up at a time where he would have the least amount of distractions— What's clear is that not many people would have been up at this hour, and that gave him an opportunity, as we'll see, to sneak off, as it were, to leave when the crowds weren't pursuing him, and to pray when no one would interrupt him. But not only this, as this note in the text says, it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, and here it is, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So it was not only that Jesus uh, was, was being intentional here in terms of time, but we see he's also being intentional in terms of place. He got up early, and he physically removed himself from the crowds. He went to a place where it would be difficult for people to find him. We know that's the case because in verse 37, the disciples say to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. So Jesus apparently picked a good place right? Hide and seek champion, right there. <laughs> um, but he's, he's using this early morning time and this idea of getting away physically to be able to keep himself from distractions. And it says that everybody's looking for you. When it says in the text that Simon's out there with people searching for him, that word for searching for is an aggressive term, an aggressive verb in the original language. It means they're, they're hunting for him, right? And sometimes that's used in a positive sense in other contexts, other verses, you know, like searching for treasure, or it could be something like people are really trying to catch somebody, either positively or negatively. But in any case, it's being used in an aggressive sense. They are really trying to find him. And for a long time, they couldn't find him. Uh, The the other day, I saw an online ad for one of those master classes. I don't know if you've ever seen these online. Basically, you can pay a good bit of money for an online video course taught by people who are famous in their particular field. So, for example, you can take a master class on cooking by Gordon Ramsay. Well, there's an ad for a master class on writing. And the woman who was teaching the class said in the ad, the biggest hindrance to writing is people interrupting you. And uh, I think that's true. But Jesus knew that to be true, even more so when it came to prayer as well. Do you struggle with prayer? Do you wish that your prayer life would be more consistent? Have you ever wondered that, you know, I I just wish I could pray longer? If so, just a, a simple application here. Have you ever considered that maybe you just need to change your time and your place of prayer? If we could learn a bit from Jesus here, perhaps pick a time of day when you're less likely to get interrupted or go to a place where also you are less likely to be interrupted. I do a lot of work on my computer and I'm on it a lot during the day, but sometimes I find that a computer can be my biggest distraction, whether it's email or, or, or something else or something, my phone going off. And, and sometimes I, I actually have to physically get up in the middle of the week and come up here into the sanctuary when nobody's here and just walk around and pray that way. Because I know if I'm in front of my computer, I'm more likely to be distracted. Um, and maybe something like that might be the 2020 equivalent of doing what Jesus did here. I don't know. Maybe you're a hunter, or you enjoy the outdoors. Maybe your place of prayer is somewhere in the woods, in solitude. I know that uh, once our kids got to a certain age, Sarah could tell them, okay, I need some time with the Lord. Everybody read their Bibles in their room or pray, and I'm going to do the same, and uh, that was just as much for her benefit as it is for them. So think in your own mind what that might look like, how you could make an intentional time or place for prayer. What would it look like for you to set aside something like that? One other thing I want you to notice here as we look into this text, even though Jesus's days were busy, he still made prayer a priority. So if you read through the book of Mark, you'll see that it is filled with this word immediately, right? Thirty-six times in Mark, and this is not a new observation. Many people have said this, this very thing. But 36 times in Mark, this word immediately appears in his gospel specifically more than in the other ones. It's almost like one thing is happening rapidly after the other. John 1.10. Um, I'm sorry, I have... Not John, Mark. I just said it was Mark. Mark 1.10. Immediately saw the heavens being torn open. And then another place, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness... And then 1.18, immediately the disciples left their nets and followed him. And on and on it goes. So we have all these different references in Mark to immediately, something happening immediately. But despite this, as you just read the book as a whole and you see this pace that it's trying to convey, despite that, even though Jesus packed a lot into his three-year ministry, he didn't rush in such a way that he skipped prayer. And he didn't rush through prayer either. It doesn't say here that Jesus prayed immediately. That's one of the things that's not said here. It's not a rushed section. He caused the busyness to stop, if only for a limited time, because he valued prayer that much. Another thing I, I see here is that he didn't feel the need to justify this to anyone. Simon had to search for him. So Jesus didn't tell Simon ahead of time. Clearly, Simon didn't know what was going on, and Jesus didn't need to explain or apologize for it. So no matter what our purpose is, one thing we learn here from this text very clearly is that we should always have time to pray. Jesus doesn't say that prayer was his only mission here. In fact, Jesus will define his mission specifically, we'll see in verse 38. Nevertheless, Jesus knew that prayer was inseparable from his mission. It was a non-negotiable item. It was essential. So no matter what your calling is in life, prayer, we learn, is an essential part of it. And prayer is, in fact, a key tool in helping to keep us on mission. We don't have to wait until December 31st each year to make another set of New Year's resolutions. Um, We can ask God to refocus us every day through prayer. So that's incredibly freeing. We don't have to wait until just one time of year comes around. Prayer can be that device by which we analyze ourselves and see where we're at in our own particular calling and mission Number two, the second way that Jesus stayed on mission, we said the first was by making prayer a priority. second way he did this was by not allowing the demands of others dictate what he would do. That's the second way he stayed on mission. One thing that becomes very clear early on in the Gospels is that the crowds gather around him everywhere he goes. And these crowds wanted him to do a hundred different things. So if anybody could have been sidetracked by the demands of others... It would be Jesus. So how did he get, you know, away from, from all of them and, and avoid being pulled off track? Because remember, he's being followed around everywhere. If somebody's famous, if somebody's popular, it's Jesus, right? If people are begging for somebody's time, it's Jesus. How did he avoid it? How was he not pulled off track by all that? Well, the first practical step that Jesus took to avoid letting others dictate what he should do next was to physically leave the crowds. Verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So in just a few verses before, if you're just looking in your Bibles and you see verses 32 and 33, look down at that for me. Just a few verses before, verses 32 and 33, it says, and this gives you a sense of what he's facing, that evening, this is the day before, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. So just, just picture that for a moment. Jesus is ministering, and he's out healing and teaching and preaching all day. But he didn't just get to clock out when 4 or 5 p.m. came along. The text says it's now sundown, whenever that was, and virtually the entire city is still lined up to see him. Of course, it doesn't mean the entire... Like, it could literally mean the entire... We're just saying a large crowd. Either way, you get the sense. It's a large group of people. He's healing until the end of the day. He's healing until the end of the day. He's been teaching all day, and now more people are coming to him, and there's no signs of this letting up. And there's no reason to believe that the same thing won't happen all over again when he wakes up again the next day. Right? So if Jesus just allowed the the crowds to determine what he was going to do, this would have been his day forever. He would have continued to wake up, have crowds come to him, heal this person, heal this person. That would have been his 24 hours, right? But he didn't do that. Jesus had a mission that he would need to fulfill. And if the next day goes the same way, we can tell he is never getting out of that city, Now, we can pause right here and wonder to ourselves, why didn't Jesus just snap his fingers and heal everybody instantly so that this wouldn't take as much time? And I'm not sure that I really have an answer to that question, and I don't know if we'll really all have that answer fully until we get to heaven, but suffice it to say for now that Jesus chose to be limited in many ways to the constraints of time while he was ministering here on earth. He only had 24 hours a day, like all of us do. That means that Jesus had to be selective in what he did. And the way that he prevented the crowd from dictating what he did the next day was by getting away from the crowd, getting out of the town. And it says here he went to a desolate place. People couldn't dictate what he did if they couldn't find him, right? So he proactively took steps to make it more difficult for people to reach him. It says in verse 35 that, quote, Simon and those who were with him, searched for him. And I already said that was a pretty aggressive term. They're hunting for him. But here in this desolate place, Jesus was able to avoid the crowds and not be hounded by anyone. Now, to balance all this out, right, we need to keep in mind the fact that Jesus was anything but a hermit, okay? He he wasn't a hermit type of person. He didn't live his life in total solitude. In fact, the majority of his life, he was among normal civilization, but nevertheless, we do see here that he took some times to be alone, and he got away from everyone so that they would not disrupt that. So I said there are times when I've, you know, come up here to the sanctuary during the week, and, and during those times, um, not only do I leave my computer behind, I leave my phone downstairs at my desk. And you know what? That's okay. <laughs> um, people, people will call me back. I'll get downstairs, I'll get the message and call them back. The world has never stopped turning for those moments when I've been up here. And I can't spend my entire day up here, right? That would be me neglecting my duties uh, in other areas. And again, Jesus' time in solitude was only a small portion of what he did in ministry. But it is important. So we have to maintain that balance somehow, right? It wasn't the only thing he did, but it was something he definitely prioritized. So sometimes we need to take steps to make sure that we are not overwhelmed by the demands of others as well. And to that I would add that there were also many good things that Jesus could have done but chose not to do. Have you ever thought about that as you read this passage? There are many good things that Jesus could have done but chose not to do. After all, the crowds weren't coming to him asking for his time to to go golfing or play ping pong, right? Uh, These were real, real requests, real needs. They they were sick. There were people coming to be healed by him. And yet we find that Jesus didn't heal every single one. One could argue that he could have if he would have chosen to stay in that particular town. But then again, we find that if he had stayed, he wouldn't have been able to continue into the other towns and preach there. So the point here is that there is many times that we too might feel the pressure to do a hundred really good things. But notice in our text that Jesus didn't allow the crowds to dictate what it is that he would do, even if they were asking him to do really good things. Jesus knew that there were many good things that he could have done with his time. But because his time was limited, he knew that he had to do, first of all, he had to be doing what he was most called to do. And again, we'll see that Uh, This is defined for us in verse 38. So a few other observations here. Jesus went away to avoid the demands of the crowds. But even when they followed them, or when they followed him, rather, he didn't allow their peer pressure to change his mission. Simon said in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. And I love Jesus' response. You want to look down and see it, what he says? You know what he does? He ignores him. He doesn't say anything uh, to address that particular concern. All he says in verse 38 is, let us go to the next towns, which is an answer in and of itself. He doesn't even address Simon's complaint. It's like Simon never said it. it. didn't matter if a thousand people were telling Jesus to stay and do X. Jesus knew what he was supposed to be doing. He didn't allow the crowds to be the ones that defined that. Nor did he feel the need to apologize for not meeting the needs of the crowd. He didn't say, you know, I'm sorry, I see there's a lot of needs here. I could be healing, but I've got to go and do this. You don't see any of that. He doesn't launch into an explanation to Peter as to why he needs to move on. He just states he's going to be moving on. And I don't know if you've ever felt guilty for not doing something, or if anybody's made you feel guilty for not doing something. Now, I suppose there's some people in the world who who are not doing anything, and perhaps need to be motivated to get moving along, right? We might know people like that. But right now I'm talking to the person who feels like they're already doing a hundred things, and feel the pressure to maybe do more, but you just don't know how to pull it off. You don't think you can handle one more thing, and yet if you say no, you're afraid of the guilt you might feel of turning somebody down. How do you escape that cycle of burnout and guilt? Well, I'll tell you, you recognize that your time is limited, that we can't create time, uh, and that none of us can say yes to everything. Here's a mind-blowing idea. Jesus said no to things. Perfectly good things, but he said no to things, and that's what he's doing here. Why did he do that? Here's the key. Jesus understood that every yes would, in fact, also be a no to something else, and conversely, every no wouldn't just be a negative, but it would actually be an implicit way of saying yes to something better. Here's what I mean. Jesus knew that staying in this town and waiting until every last person was done with him would have meant that he couldn't go to the next town. If he had said yes to the people in this town, that would have meant a no to the people in the next towns. But by saying no to the demands of this particular crowd, He freed himself up to do his mission, to go throughout all the towns and to preach and to heal there. And in any case, we see that Jesus had to make a choice. And here when the crowds came to him in the morning, he simply implicitly said no. Why? Not because he was unkind, not because he didn't care, but because by saying no he was saying yes to something even better. And here's the application, here's a great truth we can learn from this. If you're ever feeling overburdened and feel like you can't take on one more thing, remember that no matter what you do, you can't create any more time in the world. Every choice we make has a consequence. Every yes we say is a no to something else. But we don't have to fear saying no either to certain opportunities, however good they may be. Jesus had an opportunity to stay and heal more people in the town, but again, he chose to say no in this case. And it wasn't, again, because he was heartless. It wasn't because he didn't care. It was because he knew that his time was limited, and even further, that he needed to preach in the other towns as well, not just one. He knew that no, uh, uh, that no wasn't an inherently bad word in this particular case, but rather his no was actually a way of saying yes to something greater. And that brings us to our third and final point. So we said, how did Jesus stay on mission? Two ways already. Number one, he kept prayer as a priority. Number two, we said he kept his mission in mind by not allowing the others to be the ones who defined that mission. And the third way that Jesus stayed on mission here was by knowing his true purpose and using that purpose to direct what he did day by day. The reason Jesus turned down this request in the town was because he knew his mission, and you could say he was laser-focused on it. Mark 1, 38 and 39 says this. So follow along as as we read that, 38 and 39. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. And here's the key part, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus says this very key phrase. He says, for that is why I came out, This could be understood in two senses, right? On one hand, we could say this is the reason that he came out of that particular town, out of Capernaum. He's saying the reason I came out is because I'm trying to avoid the crowds, this is why I got out of Capernaum and I'm in this desolate place, right? But even in a larger sense, we could say that what he is saying here is this is the reason why I came. This is the mission that God gave me. I need to go and preach not just to this particular town, but to all of the towns, because that is the mission God gave me. And if we were to go to Luke 4, uh, 43, why don't you just turn there real quick? I think we have time. This is the only time I'll ask you to turn away uh, from the passage. Luke 4:43. It's Luke's way of kind of communicating the same thing that Jesus is saying here, but I think in an even clearer way when we're talking about the mission of Jesus. Luke 4:43 says this, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And there it is, for I was sent for this purpose. You can turn back to Mark 1 now. Um, You see in both of these passages, Jesus knew his purpose. And again, Jesus sticking to his purpose didn't make him unloving or uncaring. Rather, it meant that he had a bigger picture in mind than the people did. Jesus knew ultimately why God the Father had sent him. The people did not. If there's one thing that's clear as we read the Gospels is that people don't have a clue. He's constantly having to re-explain himself to people. They're not getting why he was sent, what he is about, who he is, right? And they don't see the larger picture. All they see is their own needs. But Jesus had the bigger picture here. He was saying no to them so that he didn't Fail in fulfilling his mission that God gave him. Not only did Jesus know his mission, but he also was diligent to do it. We see that too. We just got done talking about how Jesus took time out to pray, but again, lest you think of him as just taking his time, hiding away all of the time, you should know that he was anything but lazy. Once he had finished praying, he was immediately on to the next thing. He knew his purpose, and his his purpose kept him busy. So in Mark one thirty-eight through 39, it says, And he came to them and said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went. So he immediately goes and does something else. Jesus says to Simon, Let's go to the next town. And immediately he does it. So the text resumes uh, with this word uh, immediately for everything in, this, in the section that follows. Jesus knew his mission, and it wasn't just that he was trying to say no to everything or just retreat and not uh, address anybody. He was diligent about his work. He was busy. So we too should be diligent in fulfilling our mission. I already told you that we don't always have to feel guilt for saying no to certain things, but that doesn't mean that we can just be lazy all the time. We should be using our time well. Elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us that we should, and this is Ephesians 5.16, you don't have to turn there, but that passage says we should redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, we said that Jesus knew his mission, and he stuck to it. What was that mission anyway? Well, it already kind of tells us there in those verses. He says, let us go to these next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then we see he does that. It says he goes throughout all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and cast, casting out demons. There's a few things we could pull out of that as well. First, we see uh, the, the primary purpose rise to the top of this passage. He says, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why uh, I came out. And, and he makes it pretty clear that Jesus' primary purpose on earth was to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are 18 other times, just in the book of Mark, where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, where he's doing that very thing, preaching about it. But notice also that immediately after Jesus says, I'm going to preach there also, for that is why I came out, you look at the next verse, verse 39, and it says this, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and then what follows, and casting out demons. Do you see that? He just said his purpose is to preach, and he does do that in the next town. But what does he also do? He does something else. He casts out demons. What's going on here? Is Jesus abandoning his mission? No, not at all. In fact, this shows us that Jesus' mission, and by extension ours, is more than just one thing, more than just one task. In other words, the purpose for our life isn't just going to be one thing that we can just say, this is the one thing that we're here to do and nothing else. Uh, It's, in fact, many different things. Yes, Jesus was called to preach, But casting out demons was also part of what God had sent him to do, and not just because it supported his preaching. In fact, we see that the Bible gives us many different answers when it talks about what Jesus' mission was. For example, and I'm just going to read these. You don't have to turn to each one. One mission for Jesus was to speak the words of the Father, John 12, 49. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, uh, has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. Another mission was to, quote, manifest God's name to his people, John 17, six through eight. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. We also see that Jesus was sent to glorify the Father, John 17, four, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, John 6, 38, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was tasked with making sure that he kept his people from falling, and he did that as well. John 17, 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Additionally, we could see in Luke 19:10. here's a statement of Jesus' purpose. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus says in Matthew 10:34, Do you not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. All these are verses about purpose. And you see that His purpose is myriad. Okay? It's, it's, it's encompassing many things. Jesus says in Mark 2:17, this is the last one, And when Jesus heard it, He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." And we could go on and on. We could say, Jesus came. Why? To die on the cross. He came to defeat death by rising from the, ga- the grave. On and on we could go. There are so many verses like this that answer the question, why did Jesus come? The point is that Jesus' purpose was comprised of many parts. There wasn't just one thing that he was called to do. And so it is with us. We are called to do many things. Number one, we're called to preach the gospel we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're called to glorify God. If We're, uh, we're called to love our spouses and, and raise our children in the Lord, if that's the season of life God's placed you in. And God has also placed unique callings in our lives. Each of us has a specific and unique set of spiritual gifts and abilities. Each of us has a certain temperament. Each of us has unique passions and desires. Each of us are placed in a specific contexts. Each of us will be called to different fields and different opportunities for ministry. And while not, uh, God might not speak down from heaven, giving us a verbatim uh, description as to where and how we should serve those desires and abilities, nevertheless, we have been given other means to discern our place in God's kingdom, namely wisdom, namely the scriptures the encouragement and counsel of others. We each have a unique task to do. So again, there are many things we could do. And in this day and age, really, there are always a ton of opportunities. Opportunity isn't our problem. What we need is focus. In the midst of a thousand voices telling us what to do, we need focus. So in conclusion, here's what we find. Jesus knew his mission. Jesus used that sense of mission to determine what it was he did, and he stuck to that mission. There are certain things that we know from Scripture that are a part of our mission. There are unique ways that God has equipped us to serve in his kingdom in a way that's unique from others around us. Ultimately, in a world where we could do almost anything, we will find the most satisfaction, the most Uh, happiness when we do what God has called us to do, the most fulfillment. So in 2020, my prayer for you is just that God would give each and every one of us a sense of our purpose, not just for this year, not just that we would make resolutions that are just for 2020, um, but that we would think beyond that. What is your purpose? What are you called to do? And some of your answer to that question will be common to all of us. All of us could say some of these things together, like we're called to preach the gospel and we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves and things. But there might be certain things that you see that God has placed in front of you that only you have the unique ability to do or opportunity to do, or somebody, a neighbor that you could reach in a particular way, or a family member that you could reach or minister to in a way that others cannot. And our mission and our purpose is comprised of a host of things. So may our purpose be that compass that directs our step even in this new year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we specifically thank you tonight for how this passage in Mark shows us the incredible focus of our Lord Jesus Christ. As he came to this earth, was sent to this earth by you, and completed the task and the tasks that you gave him to do. God, we see in him a thousand different pressures um, in so many different circumstances and places that he visited and walked. And yet, God, he was able to stick to that which you had called him to do. May we learn this year and in the years ahead to also um, be about the mission that you have called us to do, May we search your scriptures and find what it is that you have called each and every one of us to do. Uh, may we be about the things that matter. So God, help this to be a year of change, not by our own power, Lord, but by your Holy Spirit. And so for all of these things that we've talked about tonight, all the things that we desire, all the things that we want to be in this year, as long as they're in keeping with your will, may you do so by the power of your Holy Spirit. And in ways where our will needs to be corrected, Lord, help that to be the case as well. May you correct us and steer us on the right path. So thank you for this example, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.